First Kings chapter 17, I'd like you to look with me in verse 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. She said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? He said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came in into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. I want to preach on this subject this morning, trials in the life of a believer. Trials in the life of a believer. Father, we want to thank you so much for Ambassador Baptist College. We thank you for the emphasis that they've placed on the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. We thank you for the testimonies today and the heartbeat of this ministry and just seeing some of these young people that are stirred up in the area of soul winning, others that are facing some things in their life and how you've answered prayer and how you've provided for them and and the Lord, I pray today as the Word of God is preached that the Spirit of God would do a work in each of our lives. I pray that we would receive the Word of God gladly. We would respond to the Word of God properly. And uh, Lord, if there are ones here today that are facing some kind of a trial, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, encourage them, challenge their faith today, even from this little story. And we'll thank you and give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Job chapter 14 and verse 1 says, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That little verse reminds me so often that life is short, it really is brief, and while we live life here on earth, there are a lot of troubles, there are a lot of trials, there are difficulties that we face. One of the unique things about 1 Kings chapter 17 is we really see a a picture of what one's life is all about. Back at the end of chapter 16, we are introduced to King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, a king who did more to provoke uh, the Lord God to anger than all the kings of Israel a man who established and and reared a place of worship for the false gods of Baal. Elijah, of course, came along at the beginning of chapter 17 and pronounced the judgment that was to come upon Israel. And for three and a half years, of course, they had no rain, led to a sore famine, the Bible tells us. And you can just imagine the devastation of the land for this three and a half years. Of course, God took care of Elijah throughout, whether it was by the, uh, uh, the means of these ravens or whether it was by the brook Cherith or eventually coming to this place in Zarephath. You notice with me back in 1 Kings chapter 17, just as a little bit of a side note, and perhaps you have noticed this before, but it's interesting to note as Elijah was where God wanted him to be. God continually took care of him and provided for him. And I take note of this word there that is found here in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you look back in verse number 2, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward. Hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee. And you ought to circle the next little word, there. 
So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is by, uh, before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. It's interesting, when he went to God's there, God took care of him. Well, then the word of the Lord comes again in verse number 8 and says in verse 9, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. Now, that's interesting because Jezebel's father, according to 1 Kings 16 and verse 31, is the king of the Sidonians. The last place that you would think Elijah would go is to the father-in-law of, of King Ahab, who wants Elijah dead or at least wants to point the finger at him and blame him for troubling the nation of Israel. And yet... Look what the Bible says in verse 9. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell. Again, you ought to circle the little word there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman, here it is again, there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was, here it is again, there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And so just as a side note here by way of introduction, we see where when Elijah was where God wanted him to be, we see where God continually took care of him and encouraged him, even in a so-called dangerous place. Well, we are introduced to a widow here in 1 Kings chapter 17 at this point. She has a son, and from the story, we find out that she is gathering some sticks to make one final meal for her and her son. It had gotten so bad, evidently, with the famine and drought that she sees the end of the journey. Well, she was obedient to God and obedient to God's will and, and ended up making a meal for Elijah first and doing so by faith. We find out where God took care of her and, and for the space of this time where there was no rain and no dew, God continued to give her the meal and oil that she needed to be able to provide for her and her son. And then we come to verse 17. And the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And that is why I say we really find a, a, a miniature picture of what life is all about right here. From, from the verses right before this, verse 16 in fact, it says, the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. From one moment of seeing God supply and, and, uh, and just the joy in her heart of seeing God take care of her to the next moment of holding the body of her lifeless son one moment on the mountaintop on mount carmel seeing the fire come down to the next moment sitting under the juniper tree saying to the lord it is enough just take my life have you ever been on that roller coaster you see some amazing things in your life you see god answer prayer you see god providing for your needs you see god taking care of your life and then it seems like the very next day or maybe not even the very next day the next moments it seems like some kind of a trial rises up in your life i want to give you a little bit of a description today from first kings chapter 17 on trials in the life of a believer and uh, if you have something to write uh, these notes down, a little outline. I want to encourage you as God speaks to your heart, write some things down. Here's the first one. First thought I want to share with you. Number one is this. Trials can be crushing. Trials can be crushing. Look with me at 1 Kings 17, 17. Once again, as we read it, it says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that he had no breath left in him. I want you to just imagine with me for a moment the heartache 
the hurt, the pain, the agony that this woman must have felt. She's already lost her husband. And now that which was so precious to her, her son, now is in her lap and she's hanging on to him. And the Bible says there's no breath left in him. One of the things that I have learned through time is this, that trials are no respecter of persons. Age doesn't matter. Location doesn't matter. Financial status doesn't matter. Spiritual advancements or spiritual maturity doesn't matter. We all face trials. We all face difficulties in life. And oftentimes they seem to follow an exciting experience right after God provided the, the meal and the oil that you needed and you're seeing him taking care of you and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, it just hits you. We come to this conclusion that trials can be crushing. Some of you have felt the pain of this woman. Oh, you may not have lost an individual perhaps this close. Some of you have lost individuals that have been close to you and you have felt the crushing pain of a trial like that. But you have felt other things that have taken place and, and it's almost as if the weight of the world has literally been placed on your shoulders and, and you hardly can even face the next day. First Peter describes it this way. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. The Bible says this at the end of this verse. Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. The context there, uh, the, the word temptation is not a solicitation to do evil, but it's talking about the trials of our faith, the times of testing, uh, those times that we go through in our lives. There we find where these believing Jews were facing all kinds of persecution for their faith. They've been scattered abroad, and now uh, Peter, under the inspiration of God, describes it this way, ye are in heaviness. This word heaviness paints quite a picture. The word actually speaks of extreme sorrow and, and literally paints the picture of, of the weights just coming down upon you. I remember years ago, as you can tell up here, my brother Joel and I, we got into weightlifting. Can't you tell that a little bit as you look at my uh, physique up here? Well, years ago, we got into weightlifting a little bit. Some of that went along with uh, the basketball team that we were on. And uh, we had a buddy named Ty that was with us uh, lifting weights as well. And Typically, when the three of us were together, we did a lot of laughing and not as much lifting. But when we were lifting weights for a little bit this one time, I, I, I was ha uh, happened to be working on my lower body, and so we were doing some squats, and uh, the, the machine that we were using, if I got to the place where I couldn't get up again, all I had to do was turn my wrist, and it would catch on one of the bars coming down. Well, my brother and, and, and my friend Ty were on either side of this, and so I'm doing these squats, and I got going down, and it was just too much weight. My legs gave out, and I just wasn't thinking. I didn't turn my wrist in time, and I mean, I just went down. And I feel my knees pop and everything else. Well, Ty and Joe are trying to grab a hold of the bar, and these two, again, they get laughing. They, they're laughing so hard they can't get the bar up. I'm literally stuck like this, and I feel like walking like a smurf for the next uh, year of my life. I'm just this squished little thing. Well, that's almost the picture that we have here. This heaviness was literally waiting one down. Now, for me, it was literal weights. But the reality is, the weights, the cares, the trials in life are oftentimes a lot heavier. And maybe you sit here this morning and the financial burden of your school bill is just weighing you down. It's heaviness. Maybe there's something going on back home with your parents, church. Maybe there's something going on academically. Perhaps there has been some kind of a situation, relationship situation that has been severed recently. And you just feel like the, the weight, the heaviness of it all is just weighing on you. 
See, trials can be crushing. I want to share a second thought with you from verses 18 through 20. And I give you this second thought, and it is this. Trials can be confusing. Look with me in verse 18. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he, this is the man of God, Elijah, even he seems a little confused by this. He cries unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? It's almost like Elijah's confused by this as well. Lord, have, have, have you allowed this to happen? But you notice the response of this woman to the trial back in verse 18 is a natural response. And the response is this. Many times we face hardships. We start to ask questions. And they're difficult questions and really difficult answers. Her question was, to Elijah, what have I to do with thee? Have you come to, to bring my sin to remembrance? Have you come to, to for this now, the guilt of all of this, is my son being slain? One of the questions I am asked oftentimes as a pastor, and I wish I had a better answer. Pastor, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to experience this? Why do I have to go through this heartache? Oh, I wish I had a better answer for them. Sometimes I suppose my answers can be quite trite at times or generic at times. And, and uh, they'll, they'll ask, well, why am I going through this? Or how, how am I supposed to respond to this? Or, or what is God trying to tell me through all of this? Have you ever realized that trials can be confusing? And listen, young people, if you're not careful, because you're going to face trials in life if you haven't faced many yet. If you're not careful, one of the things that happens is instead of allowing God to strengthen us, strengthen, increase our faith through these trials, we end up blaming God and even getting bitter toward God. And here we find this lady, she says, what am I supposed to do with all of this? What are you trying to teach me? And evidently there's some guilt because of the sin that she had. And now says, you're bringing all this sin to remembrance. And now my son is dead. Well, Elijah ends up taking the son. And we'll get to that more in just a moment. But I want you to turn back with me to Job chapter 3. Because I want to show you, to me, this is just such a valuable lesson from God's word. I think most of you are familiar with the story of Job. The book starts off with telling us that he was... A perfect and upright man, one that feared God and escheweth evil. Very wealthy man, the greatest of all the men of the East. And he experienced some of the worst days known to mankind. Losing all of his livestock. His children die. Another day, he gets boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. His own wife tells him to curse God and die. And so there's all these trials that he's facing, and Job, just like all of us, when we go through trials, are often confused. And, and when we go through some confusing times, we often ask the question, 
why. And I want to show this to you again. If you like to underline things in your Bible, you ought to mark this here in Job chapter 3. Look with me in verse 11. Notice the number of times that he asked this question, why? Job chapter 3, verse 11. Here's Job, verse 1. Let me start there, actually. It says, after this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And so he begins to speak now after conversing a little bit with his friends. And he says this in verse 11. You ought to underline the word why. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breast that I should suck? Verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? He keeps asking the question, why? And it's almost as if he's saying, why did I even have to be born? Why did I have to live this long? Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Why, 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 why? And maybe you're in one of those trials right now and you're asking that question, why, oh God? Why, Lord, do I have to go through this? Well, if you're familiar with the book of Job, over the next number of chapters, his friends discourse with him and they, they throw out a lot of different theology and a lot of different thoughts. And finally, the Lord God speaks. Turn with me a little bit further here in this book to Job 38. Job 38. And I want you to notice the change of perspective that the Lord God gives here in Job chapter 38. In Job 3, after he's gone through all these trials, he's asking the question, why? Because trials can be confusing. But then according to verse 1, the Bible says, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, And now come down to verse 5, and notice the word that's used here. It's not why, but who. And the who is the Lord God. He's saying, Job, you've got to get proper perspective in this trial. Verse 5. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Jump down to verse 8. Or who shut up the sea with the doors when it break forth as if it had, had issued out of the womb? Jump over to verse 25. Who hath divided a watercourse for an overflowing of waters or a way for lightning of thunder? Jump over to verse 36. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in, wi in wisdom? Who can stay the bottles of heaven? Verse 41. Who provided for the ravens his food when his young ones cry unto God? They wander for lack of me. The Lord God says, listen, Job, you're asking why and why and why and why when you go through this trial. But you've got to have proper perspective when you go through this trial. And it'll give you a little bit of clarity. Don't focus on the why, but focus on the who. And there's a great Bible example of this back in the book of Genesis. You think about a young man who was hated by his brothers. A young man who was envied by his brothers. A young man who was thrown into a pit by his brothers. A young man who was sold into a foreign country by his brothers. A young man who faithfully served the Lord there and was lied about by Potiphar's wife. A young man who was forgotten about in prison. And he comes to the end of his life. And in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, the emphasis of his uh, heartbeat and the emphasis of his life was not on the why do I have to go through all of this, but on the who. He says, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. And listen, you may be going through some trials today, and again, trials can be crushing, and maybe you just feel weighed down with it. And trials can be confusing. And maybe you're saying, why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to experience this?
what am I supposed to do about this? Oh, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you today. Instead of focusing on the why, focus on the who. Because God is at work in your lives. Continually molding us and conforming us to the very image of his dear son. Why? Compared to who? Trials can be confusing. Would you turn back to our text once again in 1 Kings 17? And I want to give you a final thought and then I want to share a personal illustration with you. If you mark this down thirdly, trials can be challenging. And by challenging, I'm not using this word to reiterate my first point of being crushing. I use this word challenging in the aspect of challenging to our faith. You see, trials should challenge our faith. They don't need to stumble us. They can strengthen us. They can help us to see the Lord, to focus on that who. Let me just show this to you here, beginning in verse 21. 1 Kings 17, verse 21, And he stretched, referring to Elijah, stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. Now notice the response of this woman and how it challenged and encouraged her faith. Verse 24, And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. She goes from back here just crushed by the fact that she's holding the body of her lifeless son to being confused and say, why did you even show up, Elijah? And by the way, trials, trials can really give us a distorted thought process, can't they? If it wasn't for Elijah showing up and the power of God at work in her life, she would have already been dead along with her son, evidently. But she had just gotten distorted in her thinking with all of this. And now she's just confused because of the trial. But now we see the end of all of it. And she says, now by this, I have seen the power of God at work. I've seen what God is doing. And by this, I know you're the man of God. And I know that the word you speak is true. You see, trials can be and should be challenging. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, you know these verses, no doubt, but again, it talks about the trying of our faith there and how it worketh patience. It teaches us, in other words, to endure. And then it does a perfecting work. It matures us as well. I want to take you back, before a time most of you would have been alive, I guess, back to my teen years. This would have been back in 1996. My wife, Tanya, uh, happened to grow up with me, and uh, we were in the same church up throughout our lives. And uh, some of you have heard this story before, her personal testimony, but I want to try to make a little application with this story. My wife's grandmother was the one that brought her out to church, and uh, she was saved as a little girl, got saved and followed in believer's baptism, but really never grew much. She went to the local public school, Mentorsville Area High School, and there she was uh, part of the French club. In fact, she was the treasurer for the French club. The class was making preparation to take a trip to France, and so they had several forms they had to take home and get signed permission from their parents, and, and uh, so she took this form home to her mom, and she said to her mom, Mom, can I go to France? Her mom was a little bit leery about all of this, so she finally gave in and said, I'll only let you go to France if your grandmother would go with you as a chaperone. Well, her grandma was fine with that, and so she signed the papers, and they began saving money, fundraising, doing all these things to collect money. In Jan- that was late 95, January of 1996, her grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. 
And the doctors told the family to start making preparation. I, I believe it was just something like six to eight weeks is all they were expecting her to live. Because of that, she was not going to be able to go on the trip to France. Consequently, my wife Tanya was not going to be able to go on the trip to France either. July of 1996, my wife's two best friends, her teacher, all the other French students, several other parents, chaperones, boarded TWA Flight 800 in New York. The plane took off, and just minutes into the air, the plane blew up. Everybody died, they say, before they even hit the water. Her two best friends are on this plane. Her French teacher, whom she loved. Other classmates that she knew well. Gone like that. Obviously, it shook my wife, and at uh, the time she was 15 years old, I guess it just turned 16 years old. She's supposed to be on that flight, losing your friends. Talk about trials being crushing. News stations showed up at her house and a few others that they found out were supposed to be on this flight. And, and uh, my wife's a very quiet lady, and so she refused to do uh, any interviews or anything along those lines. But what did happen in her life, after going through a little bit of that confusing time and asking why, she allowed it to really challenge her faith. She began, before this point, she'd come periodically on a Sunday morning, but all of a sudden, she started coming to Sunday school. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She got in the bus ministry. She got involved in the nursery ministry. She got in the choir ministry. She got involved in junior church. She started coming to youth activities. And I started seeing this pretty girl in the youth group, and it was, this is turning out all right. We weren't able to date or anything through high school much, but... We had a little bit of interest with each other and, and uh, started talking to each other. Fast forward this a little bit. Here we are now in 2022. Her wife, or excuse me, my wife's grandmother is still alive today and cancer free. Somebody will say, well, what a coincidence. I say, what a God. You see, my wife's going through this trial as a 15, 16 year old girl. And it was crushing. I went to my wife's graduation, and they had spots there where there was a cap and gown placed where some of these students should have been sitting. It wasn't your typical celebratory graduation time. For many of them, including my wife, she cried. It was a crushing time. And it was a confusing time for her, trying to figure out what's next. Why does this have to be happening? How do I handle this trial? But greater than all that, it was a challenging time for her faith. And I began to watch her grow. And, of course, now we're about to celebrate 20 years of marriage here in December. Listen, you may be going through some kind of a trial today. Say it hurts. You may not be holding the, the body of a lifeless child, but whatever it is in your life, for all of us, we have a sense of just our own personal hurt, and so those trials can just weigh on us. And you may be at the stage right now where you're saying, well, why, Lord? How am I supposed to handle this? What am I supposed to do with this trial? I'll tell you what you can do with it. Allow God to grow your faith. Allow God to help you to focus on the who rather than the why. 
Allow God to help you to keep proper perspective through all of that so that at the end of this journey, you know who gets the glory for it all? The Lord God. Would you turn with me to Job? I want to close with this. Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23 and verse 10. Before I read this verse, it's interesting to note, some of you that enjoy some word studies can check this out, but this took place in Zarephath. From what I came across, that's a most fitting name for this particular city and this particular story. One commentator said that the name Zarephath points to furnaces or workshops for the refining of metals. Another commentator said the etymology of the name Zarephath indicates that it was a place for smelting metals. Another one said Zarephath means refining and comes from the root that signifies the place where metals are melted. Going through the fires. Look at Job chapter 23 and verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. Let's just pause there and say amen for a second. Aren't you glad God knows the way we take? He knows what's going on in our life far better than we do. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, when I've gone through the fires, when I've gone through that refining process, when I've gone through Zarephath, so to speak, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Amen. See, trials can be crushing. And they can be confusing. But they ought to be challenging. Yeah. Challenging to our faith.